our subject this morning. In the first service, I began, and I knew something was wrong with the microphone because it sounded like my voice was going up and then it was coming down, and I wasn't doing it. It was amazing. And I found out we had a little short in the mechanism, but I had a lot of help, so I got one of these, and uh, we made out fine. I think it's working all right now. Sounds normal, doesn't it? So far. Good. Uh, I was talking about how nervous you can get when you're trusting in other things. The, the uh, rookie policeman in Los Angeles the other day was on his first big case, and it was a big drug bust, and he... He stood there outside of this place where he was supposed to capture these people. He had a gun in one hand and a gas canister in the other. And he kicked the door in and threw in his gun and stood there holding the gas canister. <laughs> now that can be real serious. I don't know why all these stories were coming to me about nervous, but ner nervousness. But uh, this fellow was going to rob his first bank, going to make a career out of it. It's the first time. So he was a little nervous. And he stood at the teller's counter, pulled the gun, stuck it in the lady's face, and said, Don't stick with me. This is a mess up. Somebody said about public speaking, when I stand up, my mind sits down. <laughs> and there's something very real about that. But anyhow, I, I'm feeling fine. And I think we're working okay. Mark chapter 3 presents this tremendous truth about the unpardonable sin. There is much misunderstanding about it. Probably one of the most misunderstood passages in all of the Bible is this one that we read from a few moments ago. The Lord does not speak here of every sin against the Holy Spirit, because there are many, but of one particular sin, blasphemy, against the Holy Spirit. And if I may just mention, perhaps it would be well for you to underline three words in verse 22. He has Beelzebub. The scribes and the Pharisees came and said, He has Beelzebub. And then the other is in verse 30, the last one we read, after Jesus finished what he had to say. Mark says, Because they said, He has an unclean spirit. All of this hinges on their accusations about what he was doing. He was doing it in the power of the devil. He was doing it with an unclean spirit, taking the holy things of God and attributing them to the devil. It was of that that Jesus said, this is a sin which is subject to eternal condemnation. It has no forgiveness. Now, there are folk who read this passage of Scripture and say, I have committed the unpardonable sin because I have blasphemed. Now notice in verse 28, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. So it does not say that your blasphemy is unforgivable. It does say that one blasphemy is unforgivable, and that is the one against the Holy Spirit, taking the holy things 
that Jesus was doing and attributing them to the devil. That one has no forgiveness, and that sin is not committed by a whole lot of folk. There are many blasphemies. We hear them every day. But he says in verse 28, those have forgiveness. I want to set you free today in that sense. There is forgiveness. There is pardon. There is cleansing. But there is one sin that he says is not forgivable. In John 9, 41, Jesus said, Your sin remaineth, pointing out that there are things, plural, that happen in life that could come under eternal damnation, that separate us from the love of God. The Pharisees were making themselves right and Jesus wrong in the ninth chapter of John. And when you come to verse 41, he says, Therefore your sin remaineth. In the Old Testament, there is an outstanding example of what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees. It is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, and verse number 20. When the Lord spoke to his servant and said, Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, they reverse everything. That's the problem. And we face that problem very seriously in society today. The people that are ridiculed are the ones that stand for righteousness, made fun of. People call evil good and good evil, bitter sweet and sweet bitter. The sin without forgiveness is to take the power of the Holy Spirit that was working through Jesus Christ, the second person in the Godhead, and saying, what he's doing is of Beelzebub. It's of the devil. He is working from an unclean spirit. You don't tamper with the holy, sacred things of the Lord. So what is needed? What is needed, my friends, is self-examination. What is needed is for us to come under a continual source of cleansing and illumination so that we are always walking in the light as he is in the light so that the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive us and we can have fellowship one with another, 1 John 1, 7 through 9. We must put ourselves in the place of resource, his resource, and not trust in our own intellect or our own heart as we will see in a few moments. Now, I want to talk about three areas that fall under this heading of the unpardonable sin. The first is a line that is drawn, Proverbs 29.1. He that being often reproved, hardeneth his heart, stiffeneth his neck, shall suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. There is a line that is drawn. 
Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Bring my cloak, bring my books, bring my parchments, and please come before winter. He wanted the coat for protection, and he wanted the books and the parchments for study. But Timothy delayed, and by the time he got to Rome, Paul was dead. He had been a martyr. This illustrates what can happen in the human life, the life that continually puts off the dealings of the Holy Spirit. Some of you here today have felt the call of the Spirit. You have felt the conviction of the Spirit. You have heard from God in any number of ways, an accident that woke you up to the fact you were going the wrong way, a voice in your spirit which talked to you about your footsteps and the way your life was going, but you paid no attention to it. My friend, there is a line that is drawn, and when you cross that line, there is no forgiveness. All right, illustrations. Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar by name, a king. Belshazzar forgot God, took the holy vessels that had been brought from the temple in Jerusalem, poured wine into them. Daniel 5 says they drank wine out of these golden goblets that were holy and sacred. They praised the gods of gold and of silver when suddenly a finger wrote on the wall of that palace, tonight you are weighed in the balance and are found wanting. You've crossed the line, Belshazzar, and you've gone too far. There's no turning back. That's a sin without forgiveness. He waited too long. He tampered with the holy things of God. Genesis 6, verse 3, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Some people come to me and say, Well, why wasn't God fair with all the people in Noah's day? He was. For 120 years, Noah preached righteousness to them. For all of that time, building his ark, they were warned of the impending judgment of God until in the third verse of chapter 6 of the first book in the Bible, we have that startling warning. My spirit will not always strive with man. God destroyed every hardened soul while those who were in Noah's family went into the ark of safety and rode on top of the flood. They crossed God's line, those who were not in the ark. In the fourth chapter of Amos, and I'd like you to turn back if you will, to that chapter in the Old Testament, Amos the herdsman prophet. Some interesting verses in this fourth chapter of this prophetic utterance. Beginning at verse 6, God reminds Israel of how he had blessed them. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet, he said, you have not returned to me, says the Lord. You go down to verse 8. Two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew. In other words, I sent you warnings. When your gardens increase, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, see, there was the blessing, but locusts devoured them. You would have thought they would have awakened, but the Bible says you have not returned unto me, 
says the Lord. When you turn the page, you come to another verse. I send among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword. I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned unto me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet you have not returned unto me, says the Lord. When you come to verse 12, it says, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. He had had it, folk. God's cup was full. And so he says, Prepare to meet your God. One of the sobering parts of ministry, in my opinion, is to stand in two services like this morning and speak to thousands of people and know that some of them are exactly like those people described in Amos 4. They have been blessed and yet they don't acknowledge the giver of the blessing. Or God has judged them and yet they won't acknowledge that judgment and return to the Lord. And they walk out hardened in heart. To you I say, don't wait another day. There is a line that is drawn, and you can't go back. The Bible clearly delineates that fact from book to book and page to page in the Word of God. Judas crossed that line, and he couldn't get back. Hebrews chapter 6 poses a question. If you have tasted of the eternal things of God, and you walk away, how will you return? And do you know what the writer in the King James says? It's impossible for him to return. Now, checking into the original language, I think there should be another word there, and the word would be almost. It's almost impossible for the person to return. Study that passage in light of the doctrine of eternal security. Study Daniel 5 in light of that. Study Genesis 6 in light of that. Study other portions of God's Word in light of that. It's difficult to return because of pride, because of arrogance. We build up screens of resistance. You know what I'm talking about. All of us have been walking in the wrong way at times and how hard it is to turn around and go back. And for some, as a preacher, I fear I may be talking to for the last time before they cross that line. And it sobers me. And it makes me preach with all the vigor of my being. Friend, come to Calvary. Don't cross that line. There's a line that is drawn by rejecting the Lord. Don't cross that line. So here we have two aspects of what we might call the unpardonable sin. The individual who takes the holy things of God and ascribes them to the devil and the other the one who tramples under his feet the grace of God by delay. That's unpardonable. And it could be deadly. It could separate you forever from the presence of God. Yet there's a third. 
And that is what the Bible refers to as a fool. I'm surprised how many times God boldly says, you're fools. A fool in the sight of God. That's the third person who can cross over and not be forgiven. Let's take a look. There's at least six different categories. One who returns to his folly, Proverbs 26, 11. This is not very nice-sounding language before lunch. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Now that is evidently a dog trait. Have you ever watched? Don't dwell on it too much. But God uses it as a spiritual lesson. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. He hasn't learned his lesson. He hasn't learned how bitter it is, how distasteful it is. He goes back. Hebrews 10, 38, If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. 2 Peter 2, 21, It were better not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back again. God says that's a fool, and it's possible that he'll never, never be forgiven. Another one, the one who mocks at sin, Proverbs 10, 23. It is a sport to a fool to do mischief. Proverbs 14, 9, fools make a mock at sin. Proverbs 6, 27, those that trifle with sin are taking fire into their bosoms. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin are death. A fool mocks at sin. And there are people in our community today who are mocking at sin. Mocking at sin. You try to tell them what the Bible says about homosexuality and they mock it. Try to tell them what the Bible says about abortion and they mock it. God says, here's their title, fool. They are a fool. And if they continue to mock at sin, there is no alternative but self-destruction. They will perish forever without God. Third, one who is right in his own eyes. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Such a person as described in Proverbs chapter 12 is the kind of person who knows it all. He won't be instructed. He says, I'll find out for myself. I remember when my fellows were little, I tried to teach them about light sockets without them experiencing the result of sticking a finger in a light socket. Would they hear me? Of course not. Why is it that that looks so inviting? <laughs> Hair on the head, standing up. You see, God gave us all of the stories we need to warn us so that we don't have to go through it. I have people say, you mean to tell me that you were never in deep sin? That's right, never. You mean to tell me you've never taken alcohol? Never. Never taken drugs? Never. Never smoked? Never. You've never cheated? Never on my wife? Never, never, never. 
I'm not boasting except in the Lord. I just grew up believing you didn't have to taste all that and go through the horror of that to understand it. I see it in others, and that's good enough for me. When I read of the folly of David, I learn something for Glenn David. That's what the D stands for. When I learn of Saul, the king of Israel, who fell, I learn something for my well-being without doing the same dumb thing. I don't want him to end up a suicide on the field of Gilboa with a sword in my belly. You see, those stories are there for me to learn. So what does the Bible say? A fool is right in his own eyes. He goes ahead and sticks his finger in the socket, even after telling him he's going to get a jolt and he's not going to like it. He has to feel it for himself. No wonder Proverbs 3, 5 says, Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You've got to get wisdom from another source, folks, or you're a fool. Fourth, one who trusts in his own heart. Proverbs 28, 26, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. He trusts himself and not the Lord. He becomes a humanist, at least by his actions. He's like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, smote himself in a prideful way, saying, I'm glad I'm not as other men are. Good old me. While the publican hit his breast with his fists and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One went away as he was. The other went away justified. I dare not trust myself. The true child of God places all his trust in God. His faith is Godward, not manward. He feels that he's not sufficient of himself. He has come to know that his sufficiency is of God, like Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 3. The Bible tells us that the heart is not trustworthy. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You're wise when you worship God in spirit and in truth and have no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3, 3. Worship me in spirit and in truth. Have no confidence in the flesh. It's all there in one verse. We ought to learn from that. A fool trusts in his own heart. And it could lead to eternal separation from God. Number five, one who walks in darkness. Ecclesiastes 2.14, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. John 3.19 and 20, Jesus describes someone who would choose darkness rather than light because his deeds were evil. A fool walks in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto him. He's blinded. He's walking in darkness, and he's groping around, but he rather enjoys bumping into the furniture and smashing his head on the wall. He just sort of likes his darkness, and God says he's a fool. He walks in his darkness because there's light that has dawned. And if we don't choose light, we're fools. Classic sort. And then sixth, one who denies the existence of God. Psalm 14, 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. 
I don't know if there is such in this service today. This message is going over the radio right now from the first service, recorded and released at the proper moment and time. And I said then, because I knew it would be out beyond these doors, perhaps you're driving down a highway somewhere. You fit that category. You've said there is no God. I say you're a fool and wake up. There's eternal judgment ahead. Saying it doesn't change the fact he's real. Bishop Sheen used to tell of being in London. He heard this girl haranguing in a certain church, and he walked in and listened to her, and she said, I go out every night to Hyde Park and talk against God. She shouted, I circulate England. I go through Wales and Scotland with pamphlets denouncing God. He said, I listened to her a few moments and stood and I said, suppose I circulated pamphlets in those same countries against 20-legged creatures and seven-fingered ghosts. What would happen to me? She said, quickly, they'd lock you up. You would be crazy. Then he said, why don't they lock you up? And before she could answer, he said, I'll tell you why. The reason is I would be fighting against a figment of the imagination, which is a mark of insanity. But you would be fighting against something as real as the thrust of a sword or an embrace. Do you think that there would be anti-cigarette laws unless there were cigarettes? Would there have ever been prohibition unless there was something to prohibit? How can there be atheism unless there is something to atheate? To which she said, I hate you. You have answered me, she said. Atheism is not a doctrine. It is a cry of wrath. Oh, just about the best thing I've ever seen on atheism right there. Why wouldn't they lock up this guy talking about 20-legged creatures and seven-fingered ghosts? Because, ah, well, sure, he's nuts. Put him away. But she can stand out there and harangue and cry and say, there is no God, and people just walk by, and, and people just stand, or whatever. They never do anything. They just let her go. Why? Why? I say, why? Because down in the heart of hearts, people know. What about tomorrow? What about eternity? What about God? How did I get here? Where am I going? The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, folk, the bottom line is Romans 1.20. Paul writing to the Romans who had questions about the heathen. What about the heathen? He said they are without excuse. 20th verse, Romans 1. Once they knew him as God, and they turned the worship of the Creator into the worship of the creature, you see, God revealed himself to every civilization without barring any. He has revealed himself to every civilization until Paul could say they turned the worship of the Creator into the worship of the creature, and he said they are without excuse. Not a one of them will have an excuse. Not one. So, I guess that means us, doesn't it? We are without excuse. The Spirit's message to the churches in Revelation was, Repent and do thy first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except you repent. I love that word, repent. 
A lot of people are afraid of it. I think it's one of the most beautiful words in the English language that God gives us the opportunity to repent, turn around and go the other way, lay the sin down, lay the foolishness down, and pick up something that's worthwhile, Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, and live to glorify God in this world. I want to encourage those of you who have named the name of Christ to continue in this life by following through with baptism. Follow through with communion on a regular basis. Follow through on being filled with the Holy Spirit according to the book of Acts. Receive power from on high for your witness in this world. Move on into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Share your faith with sinners day by day. God has called us to do the job. He's not going to send angels to do it. He's called us to do it. And I ask you to move in your faith. Don't sit in a status quo position because it's impossible. You will regress if you don't progress. If you're not climbing the spiritual ladder, you're going to fall on your face and the devil will make mince meat out of you. But if you will progress into baptism and communion and the fullness of the Spirit and regularity in your Christian experience, God will make you like a warrior able to stand and you will receive his well-done, good and faithful servant. We stabilize our experience with every step we take. I love the old song that says, Grace is flowing from Calvary. Grace is fathomless as the sea. Grace for time and eternity. Grace enough for me. Well, you say, Pastor, it almost sounds like you're paradoxical. You're talking about sins that have no forgiveness, and now you're talking about grace. That's right. You have to balance them off. There is a sin that has no forgiveness. You give the things of Christ to the devil, and you've got a sin without forgiveness. You cross the line, you delay in your coming to God, you play games with God, you cross the line, you can't get back. And you live as a fool, and you'll die a bigger fool. But I want to tell you that some of you, though you're living like a fool, though you're moving toward that line, you still have an opportunity. That's why I want to talk about grace. That's why I want to tell you that grace is flowing like a river. Grace is fathomless as the sea. It's available to you today if you'll humble yourself and grab hold of it. Get a fresh touch today from another world. How we need it when we're bombarded with so much ungodliness and unfaithfulness and sin. Woolworth decided when he was young to open a brand new department store. It happened to be on a street where another department store had been in existence for many years. And just a week before he was to open his doors, a competitor down the street put on a massive sales promotion. And his promotion said this, do your shopping here. We have been doing business in this location for 50 years. Young Woolworth was devastated by this assault of advertising. How could he handle it? Well, he thought about it. He was a Christian. He prayed about it. And the next week, he ran ads of his own, and this is what he said. In business only one week, all our merchandise is brand new. <laughs> I read that story, and it blessed me because that's exactly what I want to say to you today. 
All of the merchandise is brand new. It's as fresh as this morning. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. There is forgiveness anew this morning. Today, is it morning? No, it's afternoon. Who cares? There's a fresh touch today. There is healing today. There is pardon now. It's fresh and it's new and it's mine, all mine, if I'll just take advantage of it. Get a fresh touch. Stop worrying about whether you've committed the unpardonable sin. That's why I wanted to preach this sermon to you. If you have not done what those scribes did, you're okay. And you can come to Jesus today with all the blasphemy of your past, all the ungodliness, all the unfruitfulness, and lay it at the cross and say, Jesus, I take your way. He says glory and sends all kinds of angels flapping their wings to fan your spirit. And you walk out of here on air. Bow your heads in prayer with me, please. And let us reverence God in his house until we have sung our amen by remaining in this spirit of faith. Oh, God, we ask your touch upon people today who may have thought they had done something that could never be forgiven. We have not come to condemn them today. We've come to lift them out of the pit lift them up onto green grass and where the living waters flow. And may they rush there with all their might. May people be forgiven. May their lives be turned around. May burdens lift that have been there for a long time as the accuser has been speaking to their minds and hearts. May they be set free by the power of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. With their heads bowed, I want to ask how many of you need Jesus today. You need forgiveness. You need that flowing grace. Would you raise your hand right now? I don't have to beg you. I shouldn't have to cajole you because the Spirit of God has been speaking to you. Would you raise your hand and say by that hand, I need help. Yes, right back there on the aisle, right here on the aisle in front. God bless you. Over here, I see several hands. God bless you. Yes. Over to my left. Yes. Over on the right-hand side, yes, God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Oh, my, there are many. Without the rest of us raising our heads, just remain in prayer. Those of you who raised your hands and those of you who want to, would you just stand and come on down and meet me at this altar? Come down right here. Let's pray right here. Just get up and come. If you're in the middle of the row, people are loving and understanding. They won't mind if you walk down the aisle. Go by them and come down here. Let Jesus Christ be your Lord from this day on. Say, I'm going to turn my back on the old man, the old life, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it right now. I don't want to cross that line. I'm going to let God bless me today. I'm going to let him touch me today. God bless you as you come from every quarter of this building. I fail to look upstairs if you raised your hand, or if you didn't need to, you come on down. Yes, thank you. Just come on down. Those stairways will lead right down here to this altar where we can pray together, and God will meet us, and God will help us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I feel his presence, don't you? Let's stand.
remaining in this spirit of reverence and sing just one verse of Just As I Am. If you haven't come, come. I want to pray with you right down here. I want you to come from wherever you are. The altar is open. Christian, if you've been dabbling, if you feel like you're a little polluted, come. Don't put it off. You come. You need forgiveness. Come. Get a fresh touch today. Start over today. All the merchandise can be new. Come as we sing. Just.